the study of theology is the study of the word or the idea or the concept or the logic of God himself. Took me four years to read the Bible. I reckon I understand a great deal of it. Wasn't what I expected in some places. So I'm sad that we're not on the same page eschatologically. I wish Sam Storms and I were on the same page. So you believe in these kind of things? Let's just say I want to believe. Well, I know where he was converted. He was converted on the toilet. That, I, I like that one. We're you gonna would. To, you could say he was saying I was in the dumps, whatever. Just, well, which stall what? was he in? First John, second John, no, 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 third no, no, John. Wait, wait, wait. Let's let be careful here. He had bowel problems. He struggled with constipation. The argument among certain psychologists, he finally experienced relief with constipation. And in that moment of relief and deliverance, he suddenly... I wasn't getting that graphic. <laughs> he suddenly, you know, had this breakthrough discovery. And all of his fetid guilt, he released. All right, we're continuing our Theology Unplugged on the Reformation since this is 500 years since Luther nailed his 95 theses on the Wittenberg castle doors, and um, we are now talking more about the Anabaptists. By the way, I think we, I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but this year is also the 100th anniversary of the Russian Revolution, mm. which many believe was the most significant event of the 20th century, changed the course of history. But that's just because you love Solzhenitsyn so much. I do, I do. Do you I, love Solzhenitsyn? Oh gosh, he he's one of my heroes. Time. Oh really? I didn't know that. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, I I read a lot of Oz Guinness, and Guinness it seems like quotes Solzhenitsyn all the time. Yeah, he does. I've he read does. multiple biographies of him, multiple works that he wrote. Alexander Solzhenitsyn. What's yep. your favorite biography on him? Probably the one by um, um, Thomas. I, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, his last name is Thomas. Another one by Scammell, S-C-A-M-M-E-L-L. Those are both really good. They're both massive things, about four or 500 pages Would long. you affirm that one of the biggest things that people can, can kind of get out of the life of Solzhenitsyn is his just passion for truth, like oh, the, yeah. the one word of truth? Can you just give like a one word on his one word of truth? Oh, I don't know what I can do one that. Word, I, think, I think it sounds like you can. No. I think what I think what impresses me most is his perseverance in suffering. Okay. Uh, how he endured seven or eight years in the gulag of under Stalin. Uh, how, how he came through cancer uh, and stood firmly against um, uh, the uh, communist uh, forces and was exiled. Lived in Vermont for many years. Eventually went back to Moscow. Uh, he was just an incredible, he's a great Christian man, uh, had a vibrant faith in Jesus. So, What do you think Solzhenitsyn would think about alternative facts? <laughs> pravda, pravda. Alternative facts, does that have something to do with fake news? Yeah, 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 <laughs> fake news. Yeah. I don't think he would be very tolerant. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he was very passionate about truth. Oh, about absolutely. One yeah. word of truth. Would, would, do you remember his quote on that? I don't, but I do remember, if anybody wants to read something, go online and read his uh, commencement speech at Harvard. Yeah. That's when he really came to the notoriety of, in the U.S. It was an incredible speech. But let's transition. Let's go yeah. back yeah. to the Reformation. Yeah. Anywho. I was so, going to say, if he lived in Vermont today, he would be none too pleased. <laughs> but he didn't die, what, in the 90s? Is that right? Oh, no, something? no. He just died about uh, six or seven years ago. Okay, yeah. okay. 
Um, okay, so Sam, you uh, we were just kind of chatting before this, uh, and you very clearly categorized three types of Anabaptists. Yeah. Could you uh, walk us through that? Yeah, um, and the reason why I've, I have a little, some affection for Anabaptists is because, in, in a sense, I stand in both the flow of both traditions. You know, soteriologically, very Reformed. I look to Luther and Calvin and Zwingli. But in terms of uh, the issue of baptism, I agree with the Anabaptist. I'm a credo Baptist. Mm. There we got right back. I dare say, and in terms were, of a handful of things, you'd be. They with were the Baptist. first credo Baptist. Too. Yes, they were. They were. Yep. Uh, well, 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 outside of yeah. outside of Paul and yeah. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, the further. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, the Anabaptists were a unique bunch. Needless to say, they were. They were basically the easiest way to remember them is they were uh, very devout, passionate Christians who didn't think that Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli went far enough That's in their right. break yeah. from Rome. And they wanted to push it to another extreme. They, mm-hmm. uh, they were largely um, um, separatists. They didn't want any um, uh, allegiance or loyalty to the state. They were pacifists. They were semi-Pelagian in their soteriology. They didn't talk about uh, the substitutionary death of Jesus. They talked about living the Christian life, ethics, you know, living out the, the, the ethic of love. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount was preeminent in their teachings. But getting back to your in question. The, well, in their um, uh, engagement with society, uh, they were pacifist in society as well. You couldn't hang out with people who weren't Christians. Yeah, they carried cha- uh, staffs, I think, instead of swords, didn't they? Uh, I'm not sure about well, that. No, there yeah, was I'm, a, sure, I, I'm sure they there did. There was a branch of them that was not pacifist. Well, yeah, there, yeah let's get into okay, that. Yeah, there, give there, us the there categories. Were, there were three groups. One was the radical Anabaptists. A um, guy named Jan, Jan or Jan Matheson. Yeah, that's right. Um, and John of Leyden. Uh, these individuals, they were apocalyptic. They believed that the second coming was going to happen in Munster, initially in Westphalia, but then in Munster. They gathered uh, their people there. They reinstituted polygamy based yeah, on the Old right. Testament. Huh. Um, While there, huh? They, yeah. they, uh, it feels to me like there are some ulterior motives going yeah. on. They got special they revelation, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, like... let me tell you that when the David Koresh and the Branch Davidians issue happened back in the mm-hmm. late 90s, mm-hmm. um, there were connect- so many connections between them and what happened in Munster back in the early 16th century. But and neither one of them ended well. No, it did not. They uh, tell us what happened to Mathis, by the way. Both, Ro- both. Well, you probably know more than I do. Both Roman Catholic uh, soldiers and Protestants laid siege, and eventually slaughtered all of them. And um, they were. What do you want? Do you want to explain what happened to them? Well, well, I mean, it's. Uh, pardon my, pardon my affinity for the salacious, but <laughs> Mathis to be made an example of. Now, his head was put on the pole. Yes. Okay, this is standard fare. But in a novel maneuver... Were there other body parts that there were was a, uh, abused? His, his man parts were nailed to the castle, right? Oh, my they, gosh. They were, That's great. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why. I don't That's look, Clint I didn't, talking, just I didn't so we want to be on record here. That's I, Clint. I'm just reporting history, my friends. Yes, yeah, indeed. it was so the it was a very bad situation. They well, they well, were we haven't clarified yet though what drew that to happen. Like what what necessitated such uh, even Protestants coming and slaughtering them. Well, they were social revolutionaries. They were attempting they were living in violation of the basic laws of society and scripture. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they so, destroyed icons and all that stuff, too. Yeah, so they ransacked churches. So it was kind of like an ISIS form of Christian, kind of like, hey, we're throwing yeah. everything. We're just going to destroy nuts. everything. Yeah. We're going to throw out all the law. And they did, They believed in violence, too, didn't they? They, they thought it's okay to take the sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. The second group were the mystical Anabaptists, and some of them were anti-Trinitarian, and they were very contemplative, and it was all about... These are the ones that... Uh, that provoked Luther so uh, intensely mm-hmm. is that they said we don't need the written scriptures we have the word of yeah. God the, yeah. the spirit yeah. of God speaking to us directly is this like the Hutterite traditions or those is that is that not the same I don't thing? think it's the same group okay. no but um, the Hutterites were more evangelical I Anabaptists. get them confused yeah there there are it's confusing but the contemplative Anabaptists were mystics they listened to the inner voice uh, again, they tended to be somewhat anti-Trinitarian. And then there were the evangelical Anabaptists who were more orthodox in their views, preeminent among whom was Menno Simons from the Netherlands, yeah. uh, who eventually um, you know, developed, came to be called the Mennonites, and they still mm-hmm. exist today in many respects. So most Baptist denominations, at least in one respect or other, will trace their heritage back to the Anabaptists of the Reformation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, all, I, I, this to me, you know, you can say, well, you got the Mennonites, and then you later have English Baptists and other groups. But is can't we say though that really most American evangelical churchgoers today, the way they do church, the way they perceive and do worship, the the way they approach the Bible, the way they see church and state, the way they see denominationalism, like individual free churches, not to mention the way that they. Uh, um, uh, the, the way the commun- they do communion, the memorial view. They lo- if you asked an evangelical today, just the average person, you, if you did a crash course and said, here's, how, here's what Lutheranism looked like, here's what Geneva looked like, here's, they would look at the, these Anabaptists, these evangelical guys, they were very bibliocentric, and they would say, oh, now those guys, that's, I recognize that. Mm-hmm. We take for granted today, evangelicals, I think, a whole bunch of things that basically came from the Anabaptists, yeah. at least in that time period. Sadly, though, the Anabaptists, they didn't believe in uh, forensic justification. Uh, they were more transformative. They, they, they co- coalesced, as it were, justification with sanctification. So they were very much concerned about ethical living. They were less concerned about um, theology. They also believed that uh, they did not emphasize individual salvation. They say you come to Christ together with brothers and sisters in community and uh, the idea of individual salvation was not stressed greatly by them well then why were they so hardcore about baptism now they wrote huge treatises and 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 went to disputations where they thought they might get arrested I i mean some of them really went to bat it was such a big deal to them about adult baptism so it's strange to reconcile that intense uh emphasis with with a lack, of, you know, with with what mm-hmm. you're saying, I'm trying to figure out. Well, why would you're you're that? asking why were they not consistent? <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. That, you know, that's what got them in I so much trouble. I would knock myself out they, to go to bat for baptism if my view of salvation was more like that. Yeah, over five thousand Anabaptists were martyred in the first mm-hmm. ten years of oh. their existence. Including most in of their prominent leaders. And yeah. That's by that's by Protestants, right? And no, Catholics. No Catholics. In fact, the worst of it was, I remember the guy that got it worst. I'll never forget this one. And actually, this was well known then. It's, this guy became popularized, and as I think his name was Sattler, 
this guy named Sattler, Michael Sattler, I think. Mm -hmm. And he was, I guess, a layperson. He wasn't like Hubmeyer and these other guys that were theologians and trained. Hubmeyer was burned at the stake. Right. But this guy was just, but but he was very, I guess, uh, influential. And like, you know, he baptized hundreds of people. But he found himself in maybe Friedberg or one of these cities that was under the control of Ferdinand of Austria, who was a Catholic king. So when they got a hold of him, they, what they did was, this is gruesome, but you're into gruesome things they yeah. went, on this podcast. They what went is from it? place. They, they had Halloween stations. edition. Math, the, Matheson's uh, junk nailed to a tree, <laughs> and, right. and now Sattler. You know. <laughs> see if you can. Yes, that I'm so glad this is. I'm so glad he, this is Sam recorded. Sam the one who said junk. I'm so yeah. glad. Well, he said oh. man parts earlier. Yeah, I'm, was, trying, I'm trying was, to sanitize it here. That a little was bit. glorious. That the was other direction. fantastic. <laughs> So they so like stations of the cross, you know, on the way to the river, to uh, to to put him under. No, no, no. Actually, he got he got the burn, but on the way to the to the to the fire, they had stations. So one place they stopped and they they cut his tongue out. Another place they stopped. They like take pieces of flesh with hot tongs from him. All along the way, they're torturing this guy, and then when they get there, they they light up the flames and they put gunpowder and stuff on his beard and they put him they tie him to a ladder and just lean the ladder onto the fire. The whole way, of course, he's testifying, he's preaching. That account, people saw this and wrote about it, they say spread across Germany, mm. Switzerland, France, and he became like a symbol, this guy. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and even Roman Catholics were kind of disgusted by this. Mm -hmm. So he sort of became the real poster child of just the, I don't know, the gory extremes that, again, you stop and go, what? And by the way, they put other guys on the rack, like Hubmeier. This is in Zurich. I think in Zurich, did this, with Zwingli's approval, was put on the rack to be persuaded to recant. Hubmeier was from Germany. So no, no, but he was in. He was a German guy, but he was in Zurich. He's on the run all the time. He found himself in Zurich, and I'm pretty sure that he was in prison, and and they put him on the rack, and he recanted on the rack uh, some of what he had said. Zwingli was pleased with it. They let him go, but he was shamed and felt terrible. Like he was weak, mm, and he yeah. wrote all this stuff about how God forgive me for being weak. But then you just think, what are they thinking? What are you thinking? Getting a re a, re a recantation based on torture? Mm. So there's still a lot that you just think there's a there's a matter of pride we have in this tradition and what they did and and the bravery of some of them and all this. But then there's a huge amount of shame where you think. Mm -hmm. What, what were you doing? What is well, wrong with you people? Well, it's like Thomas Cranmer in England. And, um, you know, we're going to get to the English Reformation. Yeah. Who, he wrote his recantation, and when they took him to burn him at the stake, he stopped and stuck his hand into the fire. <laughs> and that was his way of saying, I'm recanting my recantation, my hand offended by writing uh, what my heart didn't believe, and now it's going to suffer first. And his hand was consumed by the flames before uh -huh. they actually threw him in. Wow. Okay, let's talk about the theology of the Anabaptists just for a moment. I want to dig into some of the stuff. Why, why were they? Why were was everybody so much fighting against what seemed to be a good thing to us? I mean, all of us have admitted we're we're uh, we are the believers' baptism. Why did they fight so much uh, for uh, infant baptism to the point of going and killing for it? What, what's the big deal? Seriously. Tell me. Well, I think we touched on it briefly in the previous podcast. 
um, the magisterial reformers um, believed that the uh, society as a whole and the church were one unified entity. And the entrance into the church was through infant baptism. So if, if you only now baptize adults, you have severed the uh, membership of the church from the membership in a particular well, is that society. The same way, is that the same reason that, say, Presbyterians do it today or Reformed churches do it today? No. no it's not the same. No, not so the they same. were doing it for totally different reasons. They may have included those. Well, typically you would read among uh, the more prominent Pado-Baptists, I mean Calvin, for example, and others, that they would uh, pro provide justification. They believe from the theological argument that um, that this is a, a, an entrance into the covenant family um, of those who are being baptized. They're not. It doesn't guarantee their salvation, but there's a continuity between the old covenant, in which circumcision was applied to male infants, and baptism, which is su supposedly applied now to both male and female infants, as a way of maintaining the continuity of the covenant. So even the magisterial reformers would have argued for that. But I don't really think that um, I don't really think that that was the primary objection. In other words, I don't think that Zwingli and Calvin and the others were saying, "Oh, this is a theological abomination." Um, I think again, it was they were so concerned to maintain social order. Yeah. I mean, go back. Let's go That's back right. for a moment to Luther and why he was so resistant to the peasants' revolt. Uh, you know, thousands. I think did I read it, it was seventy-five or eighty thousand died in the mm -hmm. peasants' revolt in fifteen twenty-four to twenty-six, and people look at that and they just excoriate Luther because uh, it was his um, um, opposition to them that energized the civil magistrate to take such firm and decisive action against the peasants. But again, why? Because they were disruptive to the social order. And these are the reformers who believed that in order for the Reformation to succeed, it had to be hand in glove with the social order. The social order, the government, the military was designed and intended by God to support and to defend the church. Hmm. And this was so crucial to them that um, this, the, this notion of uh, believer's baptism or adult baptism uh, was just abhorrent. It was yeah. a threat. Well, I have yeah. a question, um, <clears throat> like just sort of that question from the audience. Yeah, exactly. Covenantalism. Um, do you think that could have also factored into how they dealt with people? I, I, I mean, they I know you said they were persecuting people for political purposes, but could there have been a theological component there because of that forced continuity of yeah. like Old Testament, um, like almost theocratic rule to where they were? dealing with heretics as they would have been dealt with in the Old Testament. Well, yeah, heresy was a capital offense. Okay. I mean, we'll get into this more when we get to John Calvin and the yeah. Reformation. Well, they changed the rules bit. some, too, because, you know, you mentioned Mons, right? Or was it Mons the first one they drowned Felix in, right? Felix Mons. Well, yeah. well, the thing is, before, shortly before Mons got drowned, the Zurich Law was changed to say that if you, if you uh, are baptized, if you baptize others, adults, that became... It became a capital offense, and he was the first victim. Mm -hmm. no, Michael Servetus, obviously, who was an anti-Trinitarian. Mm -hmm. One of those mystical types that you mentioned. Yeah, he uh, he actually, the Roman Catholic Church tried on multiple occasions to kill him. Yeah. And he fled to Geneva, and Calvin had warned him. Don't come uh, here. Don't come here. And um, 
he actually went into Calvin's church and was sitting on the back pew. <laughs> Literally. I mean, he was he wearing a wig or anything? No, he didn't attempt to. Well, that's to, a Baptist right there. <laughs> he didn't attempt to disguise <laughs> him. I just want to know how, without, without Facebook <laughs> pictures, telephones, and all that, how did they recognize him? Uh, I think he was a pretty well known figure. Uh, but yeah, and, and Calvin recognized him and they arrested him. Calvin wanted him to be beheaded. Uh, he 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 wanted a more merciful more form humane. of execution, more humane. He's so soft. He's all hard. And yeah, <laughs> and he actually knelt in his church praying for Servetus while he was being burned at the stake. Because but, it wasn't his decision; it was the city's. It was decision, the council. Right? The city council yeah. made the decision. That's part of the thing we were talking about that people have a hard time grasping. That's such a historical difference from now is this tie-up between these city councils and the church, mm -hmm. and it's sort of like uh, again you think again about Zwingli as trying to play this difficult instrument where yeah. he's represents the council and because he's sort of a political figure but on the other hand these guys that he sort of mentored he's you know part of them agrees with them in fact they in these di in these public disputes they would sometimes say to him they would quote him and say you know uh master zwingli himself has said that there is little teaching there's little biblical basis for the infant baptism and then he would kind of have to go, yeah, but because because like Sam said a minute ago, he's trying his best to keep a war from breaking out. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's a difficult dance they're trying to do, which we don't understand because, I mean, we don't, you know, it doesn't work that way here. Mm -hmm. But you know, it, some one historian said that the the moment that Conrad Grable publicly said officially, I I, I and my few guys here, we do not recognize the Zurich Council's authority on this, we are our own church, that that marked a historic kind of beginning of the modern free church movement. Mm. And, you know, they placed an anathemas upon people who did not believe the way they did. And, you know, these two came up in our last two podcasts. It was the Lord's Table and now Baptism. And, I, you know, the thing that I just keep on thinking about is they were just, they were killing each other over things that, that they shouldn't have been. It's yeah. not. It's not <laughs> an essential. It's one you know? thing if, if they were out denying the deity of Christ yeah, and, yeah. and insisting that he didn't rise from the dead or that salvation was by works. Yeah. Or and even um, then you can excommunicate him. You don't need to burn him. Yeah. But <laughs> it is interesting. It is fascinating that the the most vicious and violent disputes that have existed not only between Protestants and Roman Catholics but even among Protestants yeah. has been over the ordinances. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Baptism in the Lord's table. That yeah. is. That's a truly strange phenomenon. Mm. It's hard to account for it. Mm. Well, we're not trying to account for it, but we're just talk about it. Certainly not trying we to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> we talk about it and then just leave Hopefully it. Hopefully we will never go back to that. Just leave it in your hands. It's difficult if I catch a church practicing intention, then the next thing you know, I'm going to be dipping my bread in your blood. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good way to end. Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying Theology Unplugged, let me tell you about some of the other resources we have available. Visit us online at credohouse.org and browse over 2,000 articles on everything from the Crusades to gay marriage. Sign up for email updates and get the latest news, event announcements, and special deals before anyone else. Connect with us on social media. Just search Credo House on Twitter and Facebook. And you can always email us at theologyunplugged at credohouse.org. We want you to be part of the Credo community. Please partner with us in making theology accessible and pushing back the intellectual attack on Christianity. Thank you.